Pause the podcast you're listening to right now and subscribe to Ghost Town. Ghost Town is me, Rebecca Lieb. And me, Jason Horton. And we explore all kinds of weird history, true crime, hauntings, paranormal events, and more. We cover the Slenderman stabbing, Tesla's death ray, the D.B. Cooper copycat, the cheerleader murder plot, Heaven's Gate, the Lars Midtank mystery, and Tuesday's Child, Ellie's first satanic magazine, just to name a few. You can find Ghost Town on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. In 1985, a city bombs itself, a singing nun, the Cold War takes an alien break, and a film almost ends Disney. I'm Jason Horton, and this is Strange Year. I love history. And sure, all the big-ticket news headlines and cultural happenings are interesting, but what about the other stuff? The weird part of our history that doesn't always make a news channel's retrospective or a buzzworthy internet list. Let's get into some of the events and occurrences that you may or may not be aware of that made 1985 a strange year. Looking at some of the more mainstream events of 1985, if you look deep enough, they're pretty strange, and I think that's indicative of the 1980s as a whole. Like Live Aid, Where'd the Money Go?, Bill Collins played all three locations, and Led Zeppelin had a pretty disastrous performance with Phil Collins drumming. The movie Back to the Future, it was huge. It was big. The plot is really, really strange if you break it down. I think you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, let's talk. New Coke. Everybody hated it, apparently, and Coke is such a dynamo as far as soft drinks and as a company. But in 1985, no one made a bigger mistake than Coke introducing new Coke. Falco's Rock Me Amadeus, I love that song. It's a song about Amadeus, and it breaks down Amadeus and celebrates Amadeus. It was in German, and it was a number one song. Now that I've warmed you up to the year 1985, let's get into some of the things that made 1985 a strange year. The move bombing, May 1985. May 13th, 1985. Years of conflict between the city of Philadelphia and a small urban group known as Move ended in a violent day-long encounter. It was one of the most devastating days in the modern history of this city. If you aren't familiar with the move bombing, you're not the only one. It's something that came to my attention somewhat recently, and I actually visited the landmark and the location in Philadelphia, and I found it a very troubling event that I never learned about in school, and I feel like really wasn't discussed enough, and really an important event in history and U.S. history and the history of the city of Philadelphia. Move was created in 1972 by John Africa. He was a West Philadelphia native and a war veteran, and his ideologies were somewhere between the Black Panthers and the hippie movement. And he created Move, which was political and a religious organization. They were anti-government, anti-technology, anti-corporation. And on the evening of May 13th, 1985, years of conflict between the police and Move general social and racial tensions and just the mid-1980s and the city of Philadelphia, everything came to a breaking point and there was an attempt to evict the group from the homes due to ongoing conflict with other residents and what the police and city found to be disruptive was unsuccessful. And as a result, the city of Philadelphia dropped a satchel bomb 
which is a demolition device used in combat, which was laced with C4 on the MOVE organization. They were living in the West Philadelphia row home, which is on the 6200 block of Osage Avenue. 11 people were killed, including five children and its founder. 61 homes were destroyed and more than 250 citizens were left homeless. No one was ever formally charged for the attack. Aliens at the Geneva Summit, November 1985. Mr. President, what are you going to say to Mr. Gorbachev, sir, to try to convince him that you want peace? Are you going to invite Gorbachev to come to Washington next year or the year after? All those are things to be discussed in the You can't have a strange history in the mid-1980s without mentioning Ronald Reagan. But during the 1985 Geneva summit, President Ronald Reagan and Premier Gorbachev took a break from negotiations to take a walk. And only their interpreters were present for years. No one really knew what they were talking about. It was kept pretty secret. But in 2009, Reagan's Secretary of State, George Shultz, said that Gorbachev revealed that Reagan asked him point blank if they can set aside their differences in case the world was invaded by aliens. It goes as follows. President Reagan suddenly said to me, what would you do if the United States were suddenly attacked by someone from outer space? Would you help us? And Gorbachev replied, no doubt about it. Reagan replied, we too. Gorbachev replied, so that's interesting. And apparently they both laughed about it. This doesn't really surprise me considering the Star Wars project to defer nuclear weapons. So the Cold War thawed out a little bit over our common enemy, aliens. The Singing Nun, March 1985. Now, I was previously familiar with The Singing Nun from her song in the 1960s, but I didn't realize how tragic her life was and how tragically it ended. But Jean Decker is better known as The Singing Nun, was a Belgian singer-songwriter and a member of the Dominican Order in Belgium. She acquired fame in 1963 with her French-language song, Dominique, which topped the U.S. billboard and other charts. Like I mentioned earlier, Falco, number one, German. It could happen. It's a triumph. In 1965, the movie The Singing Nun, which was released starring Debbie Reynolds, and it was billed as a biographical film based on Deckard's, and Gene Deckard's publicly rejected the film as fiction. Most of her earnings were in fact taken away by her producer, while the rest automatically went to her religious congregation, which made at least $100,000 in royalties. And in the 1960s, that's a lot of money. In fact, $100,000 is always a lot of money. It was a lot of money in the 1960s. It's a lot of money right now. It'll be a lot of money to me in 10 years. She was at odds with the Catholic Church, and she left the convent in 1966. She later reported that her departure resulted from a personality clash with her superiors, and she'd been forced out and didn't leave her own free will. She always embraced and held on to being a Catholic. She still considered herself a nun. She prayed regularly and maintained, I guess, that nun lifestyle. After she left the convent, her recording company required her to give up her professional name of the singing nun. She attempted to continue her musical career under the name Luke Dominique, became so frustrated at what she perceived to be the Catholic Church failure to fully implement the reforms of the Second Vatican Council, she released a song in 1967 defending the use of contraception called Glory Be to God 
for the golden pill that led to an intervention by the Catholics in Montreal, Canada, which resulted in one of her concerts being canceled. Soon after that, she had a nervous breakdown and then moved in with Ann Pacer, who she first met when she worked as a counselor, but determined to remain true to her vow of chastity she had taken as a nun. She wanted them to live together just as friends, even though her diaries indicate that she long resisted her growing feeling of closeness to the younger woman. And a lesbian relationship with them arose at about 1980, 14 years after they began to live together. In the years that followed, the Belgian government claimed that she owed $63,000 in back taxes. And Decker says, I gave all that money to the church. I'm not liable for payment. But the congregation refused to acknowledge that since they kicked her out. And from there, Decker's faced more financial problems. In 1982, she tried to score a hit with the disco version of Dominique. But this was the last attempt to resume her singing career, failed miserably. In addition to the other financial worries, that same year, the Autism Center for Children that was started by Ann Pacer had to close its doors because of debt. And on March 29, 1985, Jean Deckers and Ann Pacer committed suicide together by an overdose of barbiturates and alcohol. And imagine what it must be like to be a devout religious person, have success on a celebrity level and then also be so progressive within that and then have everything taken away from both the record company and church, which how often do those two things happen at the same time, and then have a very rock and roll end to it all. The Black Cauldron, July 1985. Legend has it, there was once a king so cruel and so evil that the gods feared him. Since no prison could hold him, he was trapped forever in the form of a great black cauldron. The old king, that black-hearted devil. Walt Disney Pictures presents The Black Cauldron. Escape into a world of darkness. Are you coming? Me? Go in there? Oh, no, no, no. It's a terrible place. A world of excitement. <sighs> a world of dreams. Aaron, the greatest warrior, a true hero. And through the magic of 70mm photography and six-track Dolby sound, you will be transported to a fantasy event for the entire family. Look! Look, sire! It's working! Soon, the Black Cauldron will be mine. In the great tradition of Disney animated classics, now comes the newest Disney spectacle of them all, The Black I'm not a huge fan of Disney, or I don't really have a great working knowledge of Disney films aside from, I guess, the staple Disney films. But The Black Cauldron is something I'm familiar with, kind of ancillarily, being a kid in the 80s. And I assume that everything that Disney touched turned to gold, but sometimes they faltered. Disney's only human, or the Disney company is only human. They're not human. They are an ice-cold corporation that brings joy to a lot of people. And I think 
that's great. And it's something to be, I guess, in some ways studied and admired, at least if you are into being successful. And of course, Disney in 1985, as big as it was, the way Disney is now, it just dwarfs what Disney was back then as far as it probably owning everything that you touch. But I have to admit, I get a cheap thrill when the infallible fail. And that's what happened with The Black Cauldron. With a budget of over $44 million and a box office of only $21 million, Disney's The Black Cauldron was at the time one of the most expensive animated movies ever, and it nearly brought down the Disney feature animation to bankruptcy. Disney didn't even release the film on home video to 1998, and I'm sure they're usually like, how quickly can we get this out here and make more money? But they're just like, you know what? Let's keep it a dirty little secret, at least until 1998. And the plot revolves around the Horn King trying to get the Black Cauldron so he can raise an army of the undead and take over the world. I mean, maybe that was too, too much for people at the time. And Dungeons and Dragons were pretty popular. A lot of adventure was popular at the time, so it seemed like it made a lot of sense. Seemed like a slam dunk, but production issues, internal disagreements, pacing issues, trying to fit a lot of story into one movie, not living up to the books, dark themes, and a PG rating, which was not common. People were not prepared for the outcome. The reviews were mediocre. Although it was Disney's first movie to feature CGI, which is an interesting fact, it still has not recovered financially to this day. Still, right now, it's at a loss. Revel in that. If, if you're into reveling in big businesses, losing a little bit of money they're probably not even noticing. That was some of the strange history of 1985. Maybe I'll come back around and do a part two. Although when it comes to the 80s, I'm sure I can do 10 parts and not still hit all the strangeness that happened during the 80s. My sources were Vox, Smithsonian, Return to Stonewall, and Slate. Thank you so much for checking out the first episode of Strange Year. If you could rate and review wherever you're listening to this podcast, it's super helpful. And you can follow Strange Year on Instagram at Strange Year Pod. Feel free to message me with any suggestions of years for future episodes or events that happened during a certain year. And if you can't get enough of my voice, make sure to check out Ghost Town. It's a podcast I do with myself and Rebecca Lieb. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. And I will be back next week with another episode of Strange Year. Pause the podcast you're listening to right now and subscribe to Ghost Town. Ghost Town is me, Rebecca Lieb. And me, Jason Horton. And we explore all kinds of weird history, true crime, hauntings, paranormal events, and more. We cover the Slenderman stabbing, Tesla's death ray, the D.B. Cooper copycat, the cheerleader murder plot, Heaven's Gate, the Lars Midtank mystery, and Tuesday's Child, Ellie's first satanic magazine, just to name a few. You can find Ghost Town on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.